Welcome to Barnyard Language. We are Katie and Arlene, an Iowa sheep farmer and an Ontario dairy farmer with six kids, two husbands, and a whole lot of chaos between us. So kick off your boots, reheat your coffee, and join us for some Barnyard Language, honest talk about running farms and raising families. In case your kids haven't already learned all the swears from being in the barn, it might be a good idea to put on some headphones or turn down the volume. While many of our guests are professionals, they aren't your professionals. If you need personalized advice, consult your people. Welcome to another episode of Barnyard Language. And today we have Katie and I in the same room recording our first ever live. Well, no, it's not live. First ever update together. So we're live. Yeah, we're live. Together. It's not live that you will hear it. Anyway, you know what I mean. So it's weird. We're in the same room, huddled together on a couch because we have one microphone because we've never recorded together and Katie didn't pack hers in her luggage, which is fine. Sorry. That's okay. So Katie, I'm not going to ask what's happening in Iowa because you're not there. So what's happening here in Ontario? Um, She's looking out the window. She's going to yeah, get the I'm weather report. Yeah, i the weather. Uh, snow. Yeah. Looks like maybe some sun now. I don't see any cows running loose, so that's good. I don't see any children running loose, so that is also good. Well, the children could go outside. They'd be fine. Yeah, but I don't see them, like, running amok. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's directly out good. this window. Yeah. Um, we're getting ready to go to Maida's birthday party. Yeah. An inflatable parade. Yeah. It's very exciting. Past guest Maida is celebrating her 40th birthday, which means inflatables at an 80s dance party in a barn. So Katie gets to enjoy that. And stay tuned for photos. I clothes at home with my microphone. <laughs> oh, sadly. Yeah. I just, she doesn't sound too sad about that. Yeah. So what is uh, travel like from rural Iowa to rural Ontario? How long did that take you? Three hours in the car, two hours on a plane, three hours in an airport, an hour on a plane, and then legitimately the most enthusiastic greeting I've ever gotten at an airport. <laughs> I was um, not in an inflatable, unfortunately. No, but Arlene and her mom made a lovely sign and brought a Canadian flag and greeted me at the airport. It was delightful. And Canada then, did not lose my luggage. Yeah, and then another hour... Another After that, yeah, so yeah. basically a, a giant voyage to get from one place to the other, but those of you in rural places know what that's like. It was a tremendously uneventful trip, that's and the I got right to kind. see my friend Holly in Minneapolis, and she's a listener as well, that was lovely, I got to meet some more listeners and some past guests. And yeah, we met up with uh, Dr. Jessica, who came to join us, she's just in upstate New York, so not, not all that far from here, so she came to my little town, and we went out for... Indian food, and then we got to go to the farm of past guest Claire Smith, who ha also has a fantastic cheese room. So we got some cheese, which is like the best kind of farm tour. Not, I mean, any farm tour is good, but when you get free cheese, that's also an added bonus. And she fed us lunch, which was fantastic. And Arlene's husband has been teaching me about curling because the <laughs> Women's Canadian Championships are on. They are, yeah. Um, like my preferred sport of NASCAR, there is more going on than I would have expected. So <laughs> yeah. It was more interesting than I was yes. prepared to We're telling her lots of rules and she's questioning whether they are all actual or if we're making fun of her. But we're, we're not being, yeah, there is actually a thing called a hammer. Yeah. But there's no literal hammer. There's no actual hammer. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing we did was we got Katie to come and help organize, well, not organize, but peel potatoes and uh, prep and be at our 4-H uh, awards dinner. So... We got to peel some potatoes and peel some carrots and get ready for a 4-H supper. So, Katie, what are your first impressions of Canada? What's different? What have you noticed? French. Okay, yeah. Mostly. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
And not it's, all that much of it, really. No, but it's always interesting traveling to another English-speaking country because things seem more similar, so things that are different seem weirder than when you travel to a totally different place. And it's like, everything here is different. Of course the packaging is different. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, we went on a cultural experience all the way to Walmart, so that was exciting. Yeah. What products are the same? What's different? No guns at Canadian Walmart, but they do have <laughs> hockey sticks and hockey jerseys, which That's we do not true. have. And all sorts of cookies that we don't have. Yeah. All sorts of, all sorts of strange cookies. Yeah. Which the, cho- we, the chocolate bar selection was significantly different. Yeah. You know, in the name of science, we bought some cookies mm-hmm. to test out, to, to investigate. We should do that. Yeah. Arlene, how are things in Ontario? Uh, well, I think we covered a lot of it already. Okay. I, I, you know, I felt like I should ask. Yeah. I don't think there's much else. Those are the There's main some things. weird, creepy lady in her house, but <laughs> she hasn't kicked her out yet. Yeah. So. yeah, so we are at the stage where we don't have a spare room anymore, so we had to kick the youngest out of his bedroom, and he's now bunking in with his two other, older brothers, so he's delighted because he gets to have sleepovers with his big brothers, and they are less thrilled, but They've they're fine. They've all been fine. very polite to me about it. <laughs> yeah, not so. too many Iowa jokes, really. No, no, less than I anticipated. Yeah. A little disappointed. <laughs> they're just warming up to you, yeah. I think. I'm sure that Tuesday morning before they leave yeah, school, there'll be a real flurry. Yeah, they'll start firing them off. Healthcare jokes. And other than peeling potatoes, we haven't made Katie work yet, but maybe she can milk with us Tuesday before she leaves or something like that. That'd be fun. And we the, got some photos taken together, so we don't have to just Photoshop our heads into uh, pictures, so stay tuned for those. We might roll those out over a little while, and we already decided that anyone who's on uh, Patreon is going to get all the outtakes because there's a lot of awkwardness. There's some great ones. Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned, patrons. And if you like the show, you can join our Patreon and see all the embarrassing stuff because we have a price. In regards to the 4-H dinner, the food was delightful. The people were delightful. And Hugh Hunter's management of program length was masterful. <laughs> Possibly the shortest program of that sort I've ever been to. That, which... is, that is the best part. Keep it short and snappy. And there was no gun raffle. There was no gun raffle. There was <laughs> which no meat I did, raffle. There which I did not know was a thing. None of the delightful ways that we raised money in the U.S. Sadly. Yeah. So our guest for today has been waiting patiently. I think we interviewed her way back in November, maybe. Anyway, it's been a while. So it might have been the end of October. <laughs> anyway, she's gotten bumped a few times for some other uh, kind of seasonal episodes. But thank you so much for your patience, Mrs. Cates. And we are excited for you to listen to her interview. Today, we are very lucky to be talking to Julie Cates, who is a sixth grade teacher joining us from California. So Julie, we start each of our interviews with the same question, and this is a way that you can introduce yourself to our listeners. So we can ask, we ask, what are you growing? And this can cover crops or livestock if you're a farmer, and then families, businesses, careers, all kinds of other things. So Julie, what are you growing? Hi, well, good morning, and thank you for having me. Um, so at home, I... I'm trying to grow celery (laughs) and I have a few chickens, so we're producing a few eggs, Uh, but at school, um, in our classroom, we're very excited to be um, partnering with Fairchild Botanical Gardens and NASA to um, have a growth chamber with some basil and cilantro cultivars. So that's what we're growing at school. So Julie, did you grow up on a farm or how did you um, get involved in agriculture? You know what? I I did not grow up on a farm. I actually, um, we moved to the Central Valley. Uh, My husband had a job relocation and that's where I was exposed to all this agriculture and 
it's really amazing. Um, we have a an international agri center, which I saw that on the highway, like what international? We're in the middle of nowhere. What is that about? And um, it's this giant farm show. And so I went there um, in 2007, and that's when I got started to become excited about it. So for our less U.S. geography minded okay. friends, um, <laughs> can you tell us a little about what the Central Valley is and where it is? Yeah. So California is a uh, densely populated, long state. And um, the Central Valley, in terms of agriculture, is in the middle of the state, um, both um, longitudinally and latitude. Like uh, we're south, we're, we're directly between Bakersfield and Fresno, or like halfway between LA and San Francisco, but inland toward Yosemite National Park. Um, Sequoia National Park. And so it's this long stretch of growing area, which essentially is a desert, um, but Californians have been irrigating it. It was naturally irrigated, and now there's a lot of water wars about all of that. But um, needless to say, we grow a lot of fruits and vegetables and nut and dairy in our area. I want to say it's one of the richest horticultural growing areas in the country, correct? Definitely. As opposed to as opposed to row crops like we grow in Iowa. You know? Yes. So yes, we have in California we have over four hundred specialty crops, and so that means it's not corns or soybean corn or soybeans. Um, so we have a lot of like all of the lettuces are grown, but those are over on the central coast. We're on the central valley, so we're in a drier area. Um, and so I don't know if people know that, but the lettuce that you probably buy at the store was typically grown in the coastal region of Central California or maybe Arizona. Not here where we are, though. Yeah, I had no idea how much lettuce is grown in Arizona. It does not seem like uh, the most logical place. <laughs> like it would be conducive. Yeah. I toured it actually a couple of years ago, um, the Earthbound Farms, when they started when they started purchasing land and growing there. I went on an ag tour of mm -hmm. the lettuce. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, it's... Um interesting to see how California is really adjusting to the changing demands on agriculture, especially with climate change. And, yes. you know, it's really stressing a lot of systems, I guess. I was it's, trying to come up with a nice way to, to put yes, it that didn't sound quite so. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely distressful. I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but um, farmers are having to take out large orchards and fields just because we're, we really don't have water. It's pretty yeah. hard. And how did you know that you be, wanted to become a teacher? And what, what possessed you to want to spend your life with other people's children? <laughs> Insanity. Um, no. <laughs> Got it. No, um, I actually did not. I actually always wanted to be a nurse, but um, all of that math and science, you know, when, when I was in high school and they threatened me with all that math and science in college, I was afraid of that. Um, so I did a lot of other things and, um, I, I worked always since, you know, 15 and, and, uh, did all these other things and had children. And then I finished my degree very late in life. So I'm an old new teacher. So I've been only a teacher for about eight years. And, um, when I finished my degree, um, I, I lived in different parts of the country for my husband's, um, work. And when I finished my degree here in California, uh, my first job was with uh, Cooperative Extension, and I was a nutrition educator. And um, all of the teachers I worked with said, you have to be a teacher. Like, this is your thing. Do it. So uh, I did. And um, 
I fell in love with agriculture when I got here. So I had to incorporate it all the time. Like it's so important. And uh, it's really vital to all the kids who live here because like one in four jobs are related to that. And people don't know either. They don't have a concept of how important it is to eat. Yeah, which yeah. is weird. You know, you'd think that people would understand that food is important. To all right. Us. Yeah. Um, Arlene, do you guys have university extension in Canada or something like that? Not, not really. Not in this, not in the same way. No. Julie, I'm in Iowa, which is, you know, hardcore land grant yes. university territory. And yes. The state extension is one of the biggest blessings and resources that we have around here and it's really definitely awesome. so for the people that don't know I think it was like 1906 I want to say I'm not, I'm not sure which chicken or the egg but the university system and the farm bureau system were developed and so they work together and so um, in California we have a pretty robust extension system and so there are crop advisors that are particular to different you know nut crops and row crops and dairy and all the, uh, those things. And so each county, we have 57 counties and each county has a Farm Bureau and or an extension office that they can get all these free resources from. And so it's it's really amazing. I guess that was the question I was going to ask is about, you know, whether those resources are, are paid or free. But yeah, we definitely don't have a, a similar system in, in Canada that I that I know of anyway. Our state extension at least does everything from um, pressure testing people's canners to running the Master Gardeners program, um, 4-H. They do just all sorts of um, farm production classes and coaching and um, business coaching and farm succession planning, all sorts of things. Um, yes. So they're really an amazing resource. So Julie, you talked a little bit about the geography of where you're located, but can you tell us a little bit more about your community, where your school is, what it looks like in terms of the, the people and the, the families that your, your school is made up of? Sure. So we're in, um, where I teach um, is in um, a town, uh, well, a town of about 140,000. And it's so I'm not sure if that's considered suburban rural or so we're kind of in the middle of state. We have a hospital and we do not have a university. We have a community college. So that's sort of how big the town is. You know, when I first moved there, I said, well, they have 10 Starbucks and one library. So those are the priority. Uh, the kid, I work in a Title I school. So that means we have a, a high percentage of um, low income and underperforming. And so um, that's the population I serve. And so that's part of why it's really important to always include like the STEM activities and the why behind everything. Um, and because some of my, I'd, I'd like to say a fourth maybe of my classroom, their dads or moms work on dairies or um, in a dairy related field. And so it's also really important for their self-esteem to know that their parent uh, is part of something huge, huge and important to uh, survival of the United States, really, in my opinion. Like, if we can't feed ourselves, how can we sustain ourselves? I think that's such a key thing. Um, my kids are in a very similar school in rural Iowa, so a, a very small town um, with a packing plant. So I want to say something like 60% of the students in the school are 
minority and over 70% are below the poverty line. So it's a very different school than you see um, in any of the other communities in the area. But I think it has done such a disservice to ag that it's been so, sort of a, for folks who can't do anything else, you stay home and farm. And that's not at all the reality of agriculture now. And so melding those STEM skills with pride in what we do, you know, because there are computers and robots and science and math and, you know, it's not a go out back and milk one cow by hand. And not that that does not also take science and math and a lot of skills, but, you know, we're looking at a very different world. So where does your passion for ag education and nutrition come from? I think it started when I went to the International Ag Show and I asked so many questions that one of the um, booths thought, thought I was a reporter and they were excited. They thought I was from some magazine and I had to say, no, I'm just a person that knows nothing. Um, and so then Cooperative Extinction made me serve on a committee, an ag education committee with Farm Bureau. And uh, they provided me with a, an ag in the classroom field trip. And that's where I became hooked. So I was always into nutrition. Um, my degree is in communication. And I was always about um, positively putting the word out about proper nutrition. But I really became involved with ag because of Farm Bureau. And I want kids to eat healthy, but they need to know where it comes from and and nutrition isn't nutrition until they eat it. And so I just really, that's really important to me. Like Takis are not food. <laughs> Takis are chemicals. They're not, I mean, I can't even attribute them to corn or soybeans or anything that's far from California. And so I'd really like them to eat food that is grown. And um, I had a sixth grader once that did not know that walnuts grew on trees. She thought walnuts were a, a thing that were made in a factory. She saw them in the store and she didn't know. And we live in a huge walnut growing area. So for a child to be in sixth grade and not know they weren't man-made was a shock. On your Instagram, you have a, was it called, is it called Try It Tuesday? Or you're, Yes. Uh, yeah. So is that something you do in the classroom as well? Yes, I do that in the classroom. And um, I have other teachers at school doing that as well now. And then I have a, a teacher friend, um, who also, I applied for a grant initially my first year teaching and that's how I had to pay for it. But now I just pay for it myself or if, or if people say, oh, my grapefruit tree is blooming. Would you like these? Yes. Then we try that. But we try to, we attempt to try things that are in season and also reasonably priced because I want the kids to be able to buy it. So if I'm trying something exotic like dragon fruit, they always want to try dragon fruit, which is really fun. Um, but that's just an excursion or like a treat because families can't afford to buy. That's very expensive. But all the other things like kids, lettuce, different types of lettuce. If they've only had one kind of lettuce, they don't know. It's very exciting. So they love Try It Tuesday. So I have three teachers at my school doing it and a teacher um, in another community doing it as well. Julie, speaking of accessibility of foods and knowing how... Um depressing it is when the food that's grown in your area is too expensive for the families in your area. What are ways that families can get better access to, especially produce? I know myself learning more about the nutritional qualities, especially of frozen produce, was really astounding because we get such a push that it has to be fresh, which makes it so spendy. And, you know, at least 
with kids like mine, my kids are four and five, and we have a phenomenon that is referred to as sack of bananas, you know, where you like, your kids are obsessed with this one food, they will only eat this one food, you stock up on this one food, and they're all like, what the hell, we're never eating that again, you know, <laughs> and so at least if it's frozen, you can kind of like, save it until they forget that they hate that thing or sneak it in other places. So I'm wondering what um, what your ideas are on making it more accessible for families to feed their... So that's a great question because um, where my school is, is not a food desert, but other lots of other towns in our county are food deserts. So that's where they don't have access, even a grocery store. We have a very inexpensive grocery store near us. So that's not a huge problem at the moment. Um, but I do teach them um, that um, fresh, frozen, or canned are all, all going to have this high nutrient value because the food that is in frozen and canned came even faster from its source than the food that's in the grocery store. Um, we also have a school garden, and though I assist with that, I'm not the garden leader, but we really focus on um, showing kids how to plant, how they can have that at home, lettuce even in a container. And then I also am into tricks, so I don't I actually don't call them tricks. Like I don't, I don't hide my vegetables. I call it value added. And so we like to do fun things. Like if we have a um, pancake day, like peas and pancakes. So you can put frozen peas in the pancakes, like for St. Patrick's day. It's super fun, right? Peas and pancakes. And um, you could even put the whole frozen vegetable medley in pancakes. And that's another way to get kids to eat things that's fun and they don't notice it. Um, I teach the kids a lot about spinach because spinach is kind of a bland tasting thing that you can put in anything. You're in the crock pot. I'm a big, huge crock pot person. So I have a crock pot in my classroom and I try, I have sixth grade. So they're at the age where they can do things themselves. So I try to teach them things that they can make themselves like hummus. Those are from canned garbanzos. And that's a great after school snack. And once they make it themselves, then they're hooked on and it's a high protein, dense protein snack, and it's very cheap to make. I will say my uh, my big trick now with my kids, they won't normally drink smoothies. I think they're on to me that there's like weird vegetables in there or whatever. <laughs> but if I freeze them into popsicles and then I'm like, oh, look, you could have a popsicle for breakfast. They're right on it. You know, yeah. and it might just be the healthiest thing in the world. But if it's a popsicle and they can eat it for breakfast they'll eat anything that way yeah you know? and that's so yeah i mean i i also don't prefer to hide things from my kids because that's not a great way to teach them to eat it right um but there's also times that you can just you can throw spinach in pretty much anything without yep. really changing it yeah so. and we um i like to use i like to tie a lot of fruits and vegetables to a curriculum. And so, um, cause I can't, I love try it Tuesday, but my first principle is like everything had to be tied to standards and which if, it should, of course. <laughs> but, um, so I, I use a lot of like, how does it grow, um, true food TV videos. And I use a lot of Agnet classroom material for sixth grade to reading and writing. But I also do things like, um, when we're doing division of fractions in math, 
they cut zucchini. Like I give them an equation and then they have to cut the zucchini according to that. And then when we're finished with all that, we put it in a crock pot with some chicken broth and onions and other vegetables and we make a soup and then they love it. Like, so they might not like squash before today. And then we try that and it's like the greatest thing ever. They go home, they tell their parents and that's a very inexpensive meal that they can make for themselves. That's a really great idea. Yeah. Using, using those manipulatives, which we know helps kids learn and retain information, but then not having those just be thrown out or, or you take them home, right? You know, like actually doing that in front of them is, is the, the next step to really engaging them. Yeah. And eating it themselves in class or like, um, like sugar snap peas for ratios, you know, show me, demonstrate the ratios and then averaging later. Like they get, they're kind of playing with their food. Like I don't like to say that. I don't want them throwing peas or anything like that. But sure. Yeah. Just actually, um, you know, washed hands, of course, touching it, examining it, looking at it, and then eating it. It's like a whole new level of experience for them. And also lots of kids don't eat those. And those are a very healthy snack that are affordable for families. Um, and again, we're back to more green in their diet. So so you mentioned already in what you're growing about some of the programs you're working on right now, but can you tell us a bit more detail on those those programs and how you're changing the world? <laughs> I don't know that I'm, I'm trying, but um, so let's see. Um, we have the Try It Tuesday, which is great. We try new things, but we, ha- we do have to tie it to curriculum. So math and science for sure. A year ago in Iowa, actually. Um, I went to an Ag in the Classroom conference and um, this woman said, can your, grow, can your kids grow chickens on Mars? Mine can, mine can. And so I went to her, her thing and I was hooked. So last year we tried a project called Nuggets on Mars. And so University of North Carolina, I believe it was working with NASA to get um, kids to think about like chicken nuggets are their favorite. And so how would they, if they have to live on Mars, how are they going to get chicken nuggets? And so that's a whole big complicated process because they have to learn about um, chicken poultry development and poultry processing, but they also have to be able to grow the food to feed the chickens. And so that was a year long um, project. There was not a lot of curriculum available. So it was a lot, we had to do a lot of investigating and designing ourselves, but we had an incubator. So we were doing some cell theory development we had we had to do two trials of that because our first one we got no chickens it was very sad <laughs> so we did it again we had chickens um we had we grew different types of plants and then we got to study like robotics there's a, a lettuce company in massachusetts that grows all their lettuce hands free and so it's just an idea of like trying to get things to think about agriculture but in the future to use the least amount of water least amount of um, additives etc so that's a year long project. And then this summer I found another one that also is tied to space um, and that's called um, Growing Beyond Earth. And so that's where we actually, um, are, we I got a grant and through Mars Farms, we have a growth chamber and in the classroom, we are growing cultivars uh, for basil and cilantro that they are actually growing on the space station. And it's just amazing because we get to Zoom with these NASA scientists. We were Zooming with Kennedy Space Center, Center, excuse me, during the hurricane. So here's this scientist with his iPhone walking around NASA, explaining all these great things to kids about 
plant science and how things grow. And my kid, the vocabulary was beyond belief. And they, they just ate it up. They wrote their notes or pages long. So it's very exciting. And so um, our whole sixth grade team is doing that. So we've written several grants and the, we're just now getting the money. And so we're trying to make sure that we're covering all those things, eggs, chickens, plants, space station, all of it. I think it's so wonderful. I'm sure it's frustrating to not have curriculum just ready to go because it is that much more work. And we know that teachers are overworked and underpaid. Uh, seems to be a pretty universal thing. But how wonderful it is for your students to see a teachers who are engaged enough to make that happen for them, even when it does mean designing your own curriculum. And also that your students are seeing that you don't have to have a fancy special education or a fancy special lab or whatever else to do science, that science is just something they can pursue and they can ask a question and figure out how to answer it. And just to make that accessible for them, because I know, especially in lower income schools where there's not a ton of money for fancy science things, you know, to, to see how they can make that still be a thing that they can pursue without those resources is wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, um, the one thing that the lockdown really enabled for us is zoom. And so I use, I've brought farmers into the classroom before, but zoom makes it even more accessible. So I know that you've had, um, Jenny Holterman on almond girl, Jenny. So she's amazing. Like social media is amazing. I connected with her. I don't even know how many years ago, and she's so helpful. And so I started Zooming with her. The kids, I mean, I, as I said, they grow up around these orchards, but they don't know anything. So it, it also helps me to reinforce, like there's an actual person behind it and they are scientists, right? They have a, they have a hypothesis. Every day they grow out there, they're trying to discover what's going to work best for their crop. They're dealing with the government and politics, the watering, all of it, like a farmer is all those things. It's not some old white guy on a tractor. It's like all these people and all of these things. And they can be that as well. I think that, you know, like that's that's the message, right? For for kids and for lots of lots of adults in the world too. Yeah, yeah. That that farmer is not someone who's who's just out there doing a simple job you know, that there's so much, so much behind the food that's being grown. And I mean, we all take things for, you know, for granted. I mean, I don't necessarily know how the power comes into my house or, you know, or all the elements of, you know, all the things that, that I, that I purchase, but food is one of those elemental things that we all need to survive. So I think that there, you know, sometimes there is that lack of re respect for the people who are, who are growing the things that are actually keeping us all alive, right? Yes, and I think also like Big Egg has gotten like a really bad name and I understand the history behind it. I'm old enough to know all about the history, but I think that was then and this is now and farmers are really dialed into the most efficient use of water, power, uh, drones, all of the things and making the most nutrient dense food possible and it's really important to get their stories out too like it it's just so complex there's so many things available i mean i didn't even you know when i went to maine i didn't even know about aquaculture like fishing and and lobster and all that that's agriculture i didn't even know that like 
and I'm this old. How do, how did I not know that that's a thing? Yeah, we just interviewed a fish farmer the other day, actually, and we were full of questions because same, right? You, you don't know what it takes to to grow these things. And and when there's only 2% of the population growing all the food, we, yes. you know, we have to be efficient, you know, like farmers, farmers have to, and we have to use the resources that we have in hand. We have to, you know, value the water and, and preserve it and and make sure that the land is productive. I mean, who more than the people who are growing the food know that the soil is, you know, an incredibly important or maybe the most important element in terms of, of growing the food that we're eating. So it, yeah, that, that impression of agriculture as an industry that doesn't care is, is definitely outdated or, you know, misled. Yes. And then, and also even like simple things, kids don't know about um, beneficial bugs. So it's really great when you're talking to someone and they say, oh, well, um, we introduced these, these insects to counteract those other insects rather than they didn't just come out there and spray a bunch of unnecessary chemicals. They, they had beneficial bugs. And like our garden teacher, she teaches the kids that like our kids that are in garden club, they understand, oh, that's a good bug. That's a bad bug. What do we need those for? So what do you find most excites and engages your students when it comes to ag education? I think the most exciting thing is just anything that has to do with them creating it or building it. I mean, tasting is important. That's so fun. They, they love Try It Tuesday. I mean, they ask me, how, I try to keep it a surprise. But if we are, when we're planting, they're touching soil, they're putting the seeds in. Or when it grows, they're so excited the next day that if it's sprouted. Like our um, NASA project, they're sprouting really fast. I'm not sure what is in the, the growing medium, but that's exciting to them. They want to see change. They want it. If they can build it, then they're all for it. Um, they also really do enjoy Zooming with actual people. And um, one year I Zoomed with um, Nicole Jolly from True Food TV because I use a lot of her videos and I, I edit them with Edpuzzle, which is a, a video editing program so I can put in math, comprehension, questions, et cetera. But they Zoomed with her and they had, they had their questions ahead of time. And the takeaway was, oh my gosh, a YouTuber talked to me. I mean, you just don't know with sixth grade what is going to be like the thing that is so exciting for them. But the real people connection, definitely up there in the top. So do you have any sort of... Um things that are consistently surprising to your students or consistently misunderstood and what funny things have happened because I mean sixth graders are a trip anyway um I know I I saw the question ahead of time I thought funny I don't know they're they're goofy all the time um I don't have any like hilarious anecdotes to share I just have like surprising things like the girl who thought walnuts were man-made I had a cotton farmer come to class once and that was pretty cool because cotton used to be huge in California but it's a very thirsty plant it's not we don't grow it so much um, but he came in showed the kids all about that and in that process he said oh I also grow peaches for Del Monte well Del Monte is a huge canner and huge thing in this area so we ended up doing a lesson math lesson on uh, like a would you rather on canned peaches the different sizes or a fresh peach and we're free and reduced lunch school. And I had a 12-year-old girl that they, they put canned peaches on lunch tray for a hundred years. She said, oh, 
that's what that is. I never, I don't eat that thing. And she loved the peaches. She ate fresh peaches, canned peaches. She wanted the diced peaches. So I never ate that thing. It slid off my plate. And, you know, that was like, oh my goodness, slid off your plate. Like, that's what it looks like. It looks like this big orange foreign object to her. It didn't look healthy or tasty. And she couldn't get enough peaches after that. So um, I think just anything real world with kids is is vital. Like, you just have to try it. Try it. Show it to them. Um, the dairy, like they don't have a concept about cheese, how cheese is made or yogurt or any of the extra or the byproducts of cows, all the things sort of almost in a holistic Native American approach, like no, nothing is wasted. Farmers waste nothing. There's nothing that's thrown away. They use the whole cow, the whole almond tree, the whole everything. So that's also always a big shock. They didn't, they don't know. Julie, you've been a teacher for a few years and had to teach during the pandemic. So you already mentioned the, you know, some of the positive aspects of Zoom, but what are some of the ways that teaching you feel has changed even in a short span of time and both in the positive ways and in ways that are more challenging? I think in the positive ways, um, technology certainly is helpful. As I mentioned a couple of things, like there's tools that are just so great because there is no one size fits all curriculum. So it's not really out of the question that we would have to create things to teach kids because some, I mean, by the time it's published, it's outdated, you know, in terms of um, technology and growing things. So I do love the tech aspect, but I think it's taking us a couple of years to bring back social skills and patience um, they just want to swipe left on everything. And like, I'm in the middle of front of the room and they cannot swipe left. I'm still here. They cannot mute me. They cannot swipe left. Like it's hard to keep their attention. And sometimes I don't want to, like they have to sit on it. They have to think, they have to perseverate over a question. They can't just like swipe left. Oh, we're done with her TikTok. You know, TikTok is fun and it's great, but we can't do everything in 10 seconds or less. Like we have to think about it. We have to actually try the science. Like it was really great that our egg project failed because we had to learn from that. And the kids had to examine like, what did we touch the eggs too much? Was the temperature not right? Like we had collected all the data and all three classes did not work. So obviously it was the eggs, we hope not us, but um, you know, it, it took more than 10 seconds to learn that. But I think that's the biggest thing that we need. I need to remind myself of that sometimes too. I feel like my own, I, I, I legitimately do feel, you know, like I have less patience or maybe capacity or I don't know, you know, there, there are so many things to distract me. And maybe that's part of being a parent and business owner and, you know, doing lots of things too, but, but yeah, but finding the time and, and forcing myself to focus on one thing at a time is, is a, is a challenge for me too. So I'm sure that for grade sixers, that it's a similar situation. I've noticed Arlene too. I don't know if I told you, but I've been, um, I work from home, Julie. So I listen to a lot of like self-improvement books while I'm working because I'm not really listening to them. And all of them start with people who've done amazing things. And then I realized that all of them are men and it never mentions their households or their children or their families or anything beyond their work. And right. it occurred to me that they're never talking about women with kids because we're 
too busy doing everything else or men who are actively engaged in taking care of their kids because it's not just women who raise children but men who are free to do their work get a lot more accomplished a lot faster and they get talked about a lot more so. that's true yes yeah it's that's a sticky wicket but definitely because you know women are um i believe anyway are multitaskers right because they are the ones who had the children or adopted the children and they have to do all the things all the time so i think teachers not all teachers but female teachers are sort of like moms i mean we're like surrogate moms or whatever foster moms all day long right and we have 29 children and i mean i'm here at science camp and it's a it's it's not a vacation (laughs) so yes Julie's taking time out of her her, uh, science camp experience to talk to us. So we definitely appreciate her time. Yeah, no problem. They're just like, I saw, um, I think it's a meme. I saw one and it said like, teaching is, I mean, have you ever tried to serve, you know, 29 students, very specific meals, all plated beautifully, arriving at the table at the same time, while someone who hasn't served a meal before is telling you how to do it. And that's about right. And then write it, write down a report of it afterwards. <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel so bad. Our, our daughter is starting kindergarten this year and I went in to meet the teacher and I said, you know, we're very engaged parents. And she kind of got this look and I said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I will not tell you how to do your job. I mean, like <laughs> if you need crayons donated, you need a field trip person. I'm on it. Yeah, you, said, you have the state and the federal government. You have enough people telling you how to do your job. I yeah. am not. And she was concerned about, you know, what our academic goals were for this year. It's like, she's five. Like right. maybe if she can write her name and <laughs> not hit people and not pee her pants, like I'm going to call that a success. You know? Right? That's <laughs> like, a win for the day. He's just you know we put so much on teachers like you guys are magically going to raise our children for us anyway um if other teachers or homeschooling parents or non-homeschooling parents who just want to teach their kids shit because it's cool um want to start using more agriculture and food as part of their curriculums what resources do you recommend Okay, so I definitely recommend, it, well, in my state, California Ag in the Classroom. So that's learnaboutag.org because that has tons of free resources. They are for teachers, but also they really do have a lot more components now for the homeschool parents because that's a trend. Um, they have free stuff on teachers, paid teachers. So if homeschools are doing that, you can find a lot of resources from Learn About Ag there, but you can just go to learnaboutag.org for free. I like true food tv it's a youtube channel but there are how does it grow videos most of them are perfectly fine there's one that's about figs and it has like a little um sexual innuendo joke which is fine for adults but i cannot show it in sixth grade (laughs) and i told her that like sorry gonna skip that one not learning about figs but all of the rest are really great they're really solid knowledge so i recommend that and um, I do use social media. Like I follow farmers. I follow you. I follow people on Instagram and Twitter because Twitter is very big with educators. Lots of free education goes on there. And so, um, 
definitely homeschool parents and other teachers can learn a lot for free. Like it's hard to be a teacher. I don't want to have to pay for everything. So it's really nice when we can all share our ideas uh, and do them, but farmers are great and they answer your questions. I mean, that's the best thing. If you, and cooperative extension, if you have that, like they will answer you. If you, if you message them and say, Hey, I don't know about this or that. And if you say you're a teacher, even homeschool moms should do that. I think, hi, I'm a teacher. People are always willing to help you, right? And they say, sure, of course, I'll, I'll answer that. I'll Zoom with you because people like kids and kids ask a lot of crazy questions. And so they're fun and teacher, uh, adults like that. So. Yeah, I find a lot, of, a lot of the farmers who are on social media are there in part because they want to share what they're doing, right? You know, they yes. they want they want people to know what's going on, and and they're happy to answer questions. So for sure, I mean, we I know Katie and I have found the same thing. You know, you and so many of the people that we interview, you know, we connect through social media, and lots of time, you know, most of the time we get a yes if we ask someone for an interview. They, you know, don't even. Lots of people have never listened to the podcast or, or know who we are, but they're like, yeah, sure. You want to talk? We can talk. So yeah, it's, it's amazing the people that you can meet if you just ask the questions and put yourself out there. I forgot a major one. Yes. Go ahead. Um, so the producemoms.com, which is a business obviously, but I connected with her, um, the owner, Lori Taylor, very early when I was at Cooperative Extension, because she uh, worked for produce companies and then was considered like a mommy blogger. That's how long ago that was. Now she has this full-fledged um, business and her her whole thing is to get people to eat more fruits and vegetables. So she has a lot of free resources for any person. doesn't have to be a teacher. Um, so I've worked with her for nine or 10 years now. Um, so I should have mentioned her in the beginning, but that's also a great resource because they have a produce challenge calendar. So kids can look at a wheel and decide like, oh, it's going to be Tuesday. Can we have blueberries? And blueberries are nice because you can get those frozen. You don't have to have fresh. Um, kids love blueberries. Mm -hmm. you can put them in salad. All kinds of places. Yeah. So often we ask our guests what their some of, what some of their future goals are. So we were wondering about your future goals, and that can either be with regards to teaching or education, or your personal goals, whatever whatever you want to talk about. Well, that's <laughs> I would like to survive science camp. Uh, no, I yeah. think... <laughs> short term goals are good too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I would really like to make sure that my whole sixth grade team uh, gets to connect with NASA because. Um, initially it was only my, only my class is very expensive. So we had to write a lot of grants and I just really want to make sure that we're equitable to all of the kids at my school. Like, that's really a big thing. I don't want it to be like only my class gets to do this or that. Like we work, there's three of us and we work really hard to make sure that the kids all have opportunities. So I just really, that's my goal is to make sure that happens this year so that they all are part of something really big. That's great. And it's good to have that awareness too of, you know, if, especially if it's something the kids are excited about that there doesn't become that, you know, oh, well, you get to be in Mrs. Case's class and I don't. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I yeah, mean, I of course, of course you want the kids to want to be in your class, but at least if, yeah, you're offering the, the same, same opportunities, then that makes it, yeah, more fair for everybody. Well, and I think it's such an opportunity because I listen to a lot of podcasts um, 
you know, science related podcasts and they're always interviewing folks who are like, oh, no, I didn't really like science and math. And then, you know, I did this one thing in school and now I'm an engineer at NASA, you know, exactly. and it's always just some like some random thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, now I'm an aerospace engineer, you know, or whatever. And I'm just like, you never want to be the one who cheats a kid out of that thing that could have sent them on to this tremendous career as an astronaut or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Or maybe not an astronaut. Maybe they're just a water tech down the street. I mean, that's still valuable and viable. Yep, absolutely. Maybe they're the uh, robot fixer for a dairy. Exactly. Or they all want or they all want to be farmers and that would be awesome too. Well, the cows like in where we live, there's a big um, processor called California Dairies. And it just so happens that like milk, we're a number one dairy um, county in our state. And like, I don't know what, five in the US or something. And um, milk that is milk today in three weeks from now could be in dehydrated form in China. And so that's really significant for our kids to understand, like your dad's a milker. That's huge. Little baby in China might be getting quality milk because your dad did his job today. Well, and even just if you look in our fridge, uh, we definitely appreciate our, our area dairy farmers and many non-area dairy farmers as well, I'm sure. So, yeah, it's... You know, for folks who want to say that so-and-so is just a farmer, like, cool, go clear out your fridge and then we'll talk. Great. So we ask all of our guests, if you were going to dominate a category at the county fair, what would it be? And the categories can be real or made up to ensure that you win. I think I would dominate zucchini bread. I would enter my zucchini bread and I think that would win. Now, is this a, a recipe with chocolate chips or without? No chocolate chips. Okay. Although okay. I put chocolate chips in the pumpkin bread, but I have this zucchini bread recipe that I got from my mother-in-law, but I accidentally messed it up and it tastes better. <laughs> Don't tell her. Some unintentional tweaking. Yes. That, that's just the secret ingredient. We'll just call it that. Exactly. So <laughs> Do you yeah. add walnuts or raisins or anything? No, um, I don't add nuts. I'm highly allergic to grapes which is hard in this area. So no grapes or raisins. And then I have a lot of family members who cannot have nuts. And like in my classroom is a nut-free classroom. I have a kid mm -hmm. super allergic. So I don't put nuts in uh, anything that I make, but almonds I do. I can eat almonds. So I put almonds in things, but not walnuts. Allergies make things so tricky. Don't it's they? tricky, right? Yeah. And pistachios. I love pistachios and I can eat those. So I, those are the two nuts or seeds that I can have. Sure. So I guess we'll go ahead and move into our cussing and discussing segment. We registered for an online platform called SpeakPipe where you can leave your cussing and discussing entries for us and we'll play them on the show. So if you go to speakpipe.com backslash barnyard language and leave us a voice memo, you we will listen and play them or you can always send us an email at barnyardlanguage at gmail.com and we'll read it out for you. Katie, what are you cussing and discussing this week? I have no idea, Arlene. Uh-oh. Make it a food-based one. Well, you're happy this week. This then. has never happened. Life <laughs> is perfect. Well, I mean, I've never run out of things to talk about <laughs> ever. This is horrible. Um, I'm going to cuss and discuss being put on the spot and being demanded somebody come up with something to cuss and discuss when I, for some unknown reason, don't have anything to talk about. It's you have made happened. up this segment, Katie. It's not a surprise that it's coming. I know. Oh, oh, no. Here, I have one. So social media is all make reels, make videos, 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 videos. Fine. 
So I tried to make a video the other night, Arlene. Um, my entire family has something called familial essential tremor, which is when your hands shake and it gets worse the older you get and it gets worse the more stressed out you get. Um, I'm going to have to buy a tripod of some sort if anybody thinks that I'm making any more reels that <laughs> oh, are really? going to look like there's an earthquake happening while I'm doing it. Because trying to hold my phone in my non-dominant hand and then do something with my dominant hand um, made my not essential happening. tremor flare up awful bad. It was. Oh, I did not know that was a good. thing. Yep. Um, Thanksgiving dinner at our family is hilarious because watching <laughs> us like pass gravy boats, it's... So you only fill everything half full. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to start getting Tommy Tippy cups for everything. <laughs> you got to laugh about it because it would be really depressing otherwise. So You could uh, just say it's a Blair Witch Project and that's how their film is. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. Uh, we'll call it what, Cinema Verite. That's <laughs> what our reels are now. Um, Julie, what do you have to cuss and discuss? Well, I can't be cussing because I'm a teacher. I got to be really careful of that because I will sound like a tractor mouth. But um, I don't, let's see, I don't know. I don't have anything that's really irksome at the moment. Is but... science camp a sleepover situation? I'm curious. Yeah, yes. Okay, because I supervised one time a sleepover camp for middle schoolers, and that was a, an experience. So are you getting any sleep at science camp? That's what we can discuss. Not a lot. I do have my own cabin, which is really a perk because we're, we're separated. I'm separated from my other two just because of the, the way the population runs. And so it's the only perk, but it's a lot of extra walking. So I'm getting older faster and like my feet are, so if the golf cart person's coming by, I snag a free ride. Like yeah, yeah, I'm all about it. I, I never used to be one of those teachers, but now I am. <laughs> so. I'm guessing things are probably spread out too. You're getting older, but the sixth graders are staying the same age, aren't they? Oh yeah. They're really every young. year. They're still sixth graders. Exactly. Ugh. And they, and you know, they're so tired. They're hilarious. Cause they're so tired. Oh, Mrs. Kate, I'm so tired. Ugh. Until I get out of soccer ball, then you'd never seen so much energy in your life. Right. So I said, okay, you guys yeah. are good to go then. And curfew probably at science camp. Yes. <laughs> Time to go back to your cabins. No. Yeah. Arlene, what do you have to cuss and discuss today? So our conversation today reminded me of one and it's that this is more of a discussing, I guess, that I am in a food rut. I'm the cook for the family and I just feel completely uninspired these days and to go to the grocery store and end up buying the same stuff over and over again. And it's partly that I know I need to bring in more things and get them to try stuff. But then you also get into that phase of like, I know everyone will eat this Definitely. and tonight I don't have the bandwidth to listen to not some you know I've got an I've got four kids so they're range from seven to 16 uh Julie so I mean they're not all gonna complain but then you know that people don't care for it even if they say it politely then it's like okay then they get up and you know maybe grab an alternate because that's an option or they're like oh you know it was okay or i don't want to finish it you know just get into that stage where some nights you're like i just want to make something and know everyone's going to eat and then that just turns into the cycle of making the same thing over and over so yeah. i know i am bored with my cooking i don't know <laughs> no one else has mentioned it but i'm definitely <laughs> bored they don't mention it because then they'd have to do it yeah yeah that's true <laughs> so thank you so much julie for joining us today and no, it was thank great you to for having you. me 
if yeah. people would like to follow you on social media and learn more about you, what you're doing at your school and with your kids, where can they find you? Um, so thank you so much again. I appreciate it. And um, I'm on Instagram at teacher Kates. That's my last name, C-A-T-E-S. So teacher Kates on Instagram and on Twitter, I'm at Kates underscore Julie. So see it. And that's it. I don't do Facebook and I trying not to make reels or TikToks. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that either, but I am on Instagram and Twitter and um, it's hard to keep on top of all the things. It's your Instagram very, is great. <laughs> yeah. Instagram's nice and easy, slow for, so for us, uh, middle-aged or young, old, I'm not sure what category I'm in yet. I don't want to, if I don't want to confess that one, but that's so, yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah. yeah thank you. On, Julie. Yes. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a great day. Thanks. You too. Thank you for joining us today on Barnyard Language. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to support us by becoming a patron. Go to www.patreon.com backslash barnyard language to make a small monthly donation to help cover the costs of making the show. Please rate and review the podcast and follow the show so you never miss an episode. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as Barnyard Language, and on Twitter, we are Barnyard Pod. If you'd like to connect with other farming families, you can join our private Barnyard Language Facebook group. We're always in search of future guests for the podcast. If you or someone you know would like to chat with us, get in touch. We are a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network.